I join with Justin and the other brethren in welcoming you here this morning. Uh, we're glad that you've chosen to come and worship and praise God with us. If you're here visiting, as Justin said, we're especially glad that you're here. We hope that you know that you're an honored guest, and we'd encourage you and invite you back at any time that you're able to come and be with us. Um, we're not going to get to the reading until the end, but the reading is actually uh, going to be important, and I'd encourage you uh, to, to read that over once you've left here this morning sometime during the week, uh, because we are going to use Acts, the second chapter, as a base text uh, for the next couple of months, uh, and you'll see why at the end. Uh, let me start out with the lesson this morning uh, is back to the basics. And this is going to be a foundational lesson of back to the basics. And what I mean by foundational uh, is that this is an intro for the next couple of months' lessons. Now when you hear Acts the second chapter, certainly there are a lot of things that we could look at and pull apart from Acts the second chapter. And we could study those things, and certainly we could look at those things and say those are basic to our relationship with God. That those are basic uh, to our uh, conversion into Christianity, if you will. That those are basic uh, to the doctrines that we believe in. But I assure you, in looking at the back to the basics, uh, we are not going to look at all of those that are probably in your mind, especially going back to Acts chapter 2. Um, this morning and the lessons that I give over the coming months are, are actually geared about getting toward back to the basics, not for you individually as a Christian or me individually as a Christian. It's not geared toward you building your personal relationship with God. It's not you geared toward you making sure uh, that your actions and your activities are necessarily right. However, I will say you can take the principles that we see here in Acts chapter 2 and apply them that way. Rather, the purpose of today's lesson and the lesson of the coming months is to make sure that our actions are right. Who is our? It's me and you. It's those of us sitting here this morning. It's those of us who consider ourselves the family of God here this morning. You know, if we look back over the last uh, year and a half, we would certainly have to say times have changed. A year and a half ago, things were much different than they are today. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is uh, a year and a half ago, I didn't have two kids who were 16 years old. Now I do. And, and I look at these two uh, of my oldest kids and I go, what happened here? And then I look at Robin and Nathan smiling because they've got a grandkid sitting beside them and they're going, yeah, just wait. <laughs> See, times change. And certainly I'm talking about the things that have happened in this congregation. We look around and there's a number of faces who aren't here this morning. A number of faces that won't be back in these chairs. And as we see the prayer list grow longer, we know that Times change. Things change. 
The way we've had to conduct ourselves over the last year and a half has certainly changed drastically. And now we see that, that we begin to change back and some of those changes may be permanent. You know, the Bible talks about this. I'm going to encourage you to take a Bible or if you have an electronic device that you follow along uh, with me in, I would encourage you to mark these verses and go back and look at them. We're going to start with Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. In Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, you have to understand what Solomon was doing here. Solomon had been granted wisdom. And being granted wisdom, Solomon did what pastors often refer to as the great experiment. What Solomon did was he lived life. And he lived life to the fullest. He wanted to make sure he had tried it all. That he had done it all. That he had seen it all. He wanted to make sure that he could say everything that could be done, he had done. And there were certain observations that he made for you and I. Looking at Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, he says, To everything there is a season. Now in that limited statement there, I want you to notice what Solomon has told us. What Solomon says in that limited statement, to everything there is a season. What's left out there? If we were to stop there and not continue reading, and I were to say to you, did Solomon leave anything out? Then we would have to say in his experiment, he didn't. He said to everything there is a season. What did he mean by a season? Did he mean that it has to fall in one of the yearly patterns, the seasons that we talk about? No. But he had the same idea. You see, a season is a set time. And no season is alike unless you live in the panhandle of Texas. But no season is the same. Why? Because we all understand that, that spring is a time of, of regrowth and newness and beautiful weather. And we know that summer is, is hot and um, most of the time no rain. We know that fall, that things begin to change and the leaves change and colors change and leaves begin to fall off and then we know the winter we're looking for uh, something different. You know what Solomon said was, things change. And to everything, there's a set time. And when that set time is done, something is going to be different. Something is going to change. You know, Solomon in his great, experience didn't, great experiment didn't leave it at that for us. He said at a time to every purpose under the heaven, there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace.
I want you to notice what Solomon did here. Solomon included a number of things that we can look at. He talked about a time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. A time to embrace and a time to let go. A time to build up and a time to tear down. I want you to notice something about all of these things or all of these times that Solomon talks about. Do you notice how in each of these categories he's taken two extremes? He said there's a time for war and a time for peace. If you put war and peace on a line, on a continuum, on a scale, is there anything between there? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a long way between war and peace. You talk about love. And by love here, uh, we have to assume that Solomon, being the wisest man, is, is talking about true strong, sincere, biblical love and hate. Is there anything between those two extremes? Certainly. There's a lot. You know, Solomon was making a point here. Solomon was making a point that, hey, change is something you need to expect. In fact, change can be very drastic. Change can go from peace to all-out war. And anywhere in between. Change can go from sincere, deep, true love to hate. And anywhere in between. And you know what Solomon said? Solomon said, as I was going about through life and as I was testing these theories out and I was making sure that I had tried everything, I realized that to everything there was a season. To everything there was a time. You know, as I was looking at this, and as I was reading through Acts, the second chapter, I realized that, that maybe in saying that, there were certain things we could depend on to never change. You know, I would say that most of us in here like to say we don't like change. We like consistency. We like things to be as they were and as they are. Because we know what to do. But you know, Solomon is saying there was a time for everything. A season for everything. There are certain things that we can be sure never change. 
In James, the first chapter, James, the first chapter in verse 17, James here writes something very important to us. One of those foundational blocks that we have to understand. James writes, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and every perfect gift it, and cometh down from the Father of lights. And I would say my typing is terrible there. So please understand that, that this miscue is my miscue, and it's not inspired. Okay, So your Bible doesn't have the, the mistyping there. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. You know, sometimes the uh, King James Version uses terms uh, that we wouldn't speak that way. But here's what James was saying. He was saying every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father. And the Father is the Father of lights. And with Him, there is no changing like there is with a shadow. What does that mean? If we walked outside right now, as we moved, our shadows would change. Based on where the sun is, it would change directions. In fact, we often joke and laugh about how a kid can stand and their shadow can be cast far. But then later in the day... There's very little shadow, depending on where the sun is. Your shadow never stays the same. But James said, that's not the way with God. Why is that so important? What was God like when God put Adam in the garden? What was God like when he looked down at King David and said, that's a man after my own heart? What was God like when Jesus was hanging there on the cross? You know what James said? You know that God that created Adam? You know that God that looked down on David? You know that God that gave his son for you? That's the same God you serve today. He said, guess what? He's not like a shadow that changes with the times. He's not like those things that Solomon was talking about that has its season and then it's going to be a little different and we're going to have to figure out who God is. What James said is, the same God that Adam had to get to know was the same God David had to get to know, was the same God that sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die for you. And it's the same God for you to know today. You know, in talking about God, in Hebrews, the 13th chapter, Paul writes here in verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. You know that Jesus that decided that he was going to freely give his life on the cross. That Jesus, who came as a man, 
thinking it not robbery to be equal with God, but coming to earth as a man. Once he gave his life on the cross, did his view change? What about when the seasons changed? Did Jesus change with them? What about when a pandemic hits and everything changes? Did Jesus change with it? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the God before the pandemic is the God after the pandemic. And that the Christ who gave his life before the pandemic is your Savior after the pandemic also. I want you to notice there's one more thing that doesn't change. And I use this verse because of what it tells us not only about the Word of God, but it tells us about all of us. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 24, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. What does Peter teach us about man? You know what Peter teaches us about man is that man is exactly as Solomon found in Ecclesiastes 3. I want you to think about grass. How many times does grass change? You plant a seed, it breaks through the ground, and it begins to grow. And as it grows, the leaves get bigger and bigger. And after a time, if you leave it alone, it will continue to grow taller and taller, and soon it will get a seed head of its own. What Peter here calls a flower. And that flower will, will sprout, and it will be there for a while, and then soon something will happen, whether the wind carries those seeds away, or the season changes, and that grass... It starts to go dormant. It starts to turn brown. And pretty soon, it's blown by the wind. It's eaten. It's broken. It's torn down. And what do we call it? We call it dead grass. That's what happens. And Peter says that's the cycle of life. The cycle of man is much like grass. We grow and we change, and we continue to grow, and we continue to change for everything. There is a season. And it says, let me tell you, in fact, there's going to be a drastic change like there is for the grass. There's going to be such a drastic change that just as the grass grows and is beautiful and has a flower, there's going to come a time where that flower is gone. And that grass is withered. In fact, that, that grass is going to die. 
But I want to tell you about something that endures forever. And that's the Word of God. You know, that term endures is important. Why? Because it not only lasts forever, but the Word of God doesn't change with the times or the seasons. The Word of God that was inspired to Paul. The Word of God that was inspired to Peter. It's the same Word of God that you and I have today. The Word of God was the same before the pandemic as it is after the pandemic. And the great thing is, is that when you and I have forgotten years from now about the pandemic, we'll still have the same Word of God. To follow the same Father and the same Son in the Word that He's given to you and I for life. So let's talk about us. You and I as a family or as a church. What does Acts chapter 2 teach us about the basics of our church family? I want to look at it real quick. In Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 29, as Dusty read for us, it says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher, or his tomb, is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstools. Verse 36 there says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto, him, unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. On the day of Pentecost, I want to tell you what happened. The church there went through a pandemic all in one day. Whoa. They didn't have a year and a half. They didn't have the benefit of Acts chapter 2 been, being written down. But on a single day, they went through a pandemic. You believe that? 
Let me tell you about a real pandemic. There was a real pandemic because there was a group of men, and we know that they were over 3,000. A group of men who had decided at one time that Jesus was not the Messiah, that Jesus was not the Christ they were looking for, that Jesus was to be put to death. Now, if that's not enough, there were some apostles who had given up everything they had and for three years had followed Him. Learning from Him. Being taught by Him. Being granted certain powers that they could do signs and wonders and miracles that would point to the Messiah. And then one night, he got them all in the upper room and he said, guess what? Things are going to change. The season of my earthly life is over. Now don't worry. You've been following me for the last three years. Don't worry. I'm going to leave. And I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And then within a couple of days, he's not only been crucified, but his body's been taken down from the cross and placed in a tomb with a stone rolled in front of it. And in their mourning, and in their grief, They go back to find that his body's gone. And then one appears. The Son of God. Which the Bible tells us in many infallible proofs, many they they couldn't be questioned. He proved that he was in fact the Savior. And then all of a sudden we get to Acts chapter 1. And these same men who had given up everything to follow Him. These same men who had lived through His crucifixion, denying Him to others, finding the tomb empty, and then getting to spend the last few days with Him, watch Him ascend, into heaven. You think that's not a drastic change? Well, let's make it a little worse here. All of a sudden, the day of Pentecost, the Bible tells us, is fully come in Acts chapter 2. They're at the day of Pentecost. And Peter starts to speak. And all of these people are standing looking at them going, he must be drunk. These guys must be out of their mind. And Peter says, let me tell you about David. You see, you know about David. The King David, the one that y'all have read about in the scriptures, he's dead. He's dead and his tomb is with us. But by the way, there was one, which is Jesus the Christ, and you killed him. You put him to death. By the way, that was the Son of God. And he's now on the right hand of the Father. 
And in that moment, the Bible tells us that those men were pricked in their hearts. And they said to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. What happened next? The Bible tells us that three thousand souls obeyed the gospel. I wonder what those 3,000 souls thought about 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. I wonder if they had thought about it at all. By the way, 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter hadn't happened yet. Uh, just in case you were wondering whether or not this is a big change, uh, let me add something to that. This wasn't the only time there'd be a drastic change like this. Go to Acts chapter 10 and you'll find out there's another big change coming. You see what happened on the, in Acts chapter 2 was some disciples of Christ, some had, who had been following, just converted 3,000 souls. And they had to figure out what to do with this big change. Now I want you to keep in mind that Christ that Peter spoke of to them is the same Jesus who has saved your soul. You know the same God that David followed? as Peter spoke of to these Jews. It's the same God who gave his son for you. And that word that Peter was preaching, that word that pricked the hearts of those Jews that day, it's the same word that you have today you know those guys had to do some figuring out at that point they now had 3,000 Christian brothers we don't know how many women and children followed suit but we know all of a sudden the church had a big change to deal with what did they do? Verse 42 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking bread and in prayers. That's the basics we want to know about. In Acts, the second chapter, verse, 20, uh, verse 42, where it says they continued steadfastly. Um, that's the word that is translated, continued steadfastly, and it means to be earnest towards, to persevere, be constantly diligent, to attend, to adhere closely uh, to. We want to know what the church did in this big change. 
We want to know what the Christians did when they looked out and said, hey, before there was only 12 of us, and now there's 3,012. What are we going to do? I want you to notice that there were four things that the Bible says they stuck to. They persevered in. They gave attention to. They followed after. And those are the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers. And over the next couple of months, I want to spend some time actually digging into these four things. And I want to spend some time, you and I together as a family, as the church, digging into these four things that we might understand what our brothers and sisters when it all started and changed drastically, what they did. And here's why. If you continue in that, it says, And they, continuing daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want you to know that when we talk about basics, we're talking about foundational, important concepts. And why do I say that? Evidently, whatever it was that these brothers and sisters in Christ did back then, evidently whatever it was, it was a matter of salvation. Because the Bible here tells us, and Luke records, that when they did these things, the Lord added to the church such as should be saved. And I hope that's what you want this morning. Not just for yourself but for every one of us. If you're not a child of God this morning, the gospel that Peter was preaching there on the day of Pentecost, it's the same today. That you can accept Jesus as your Savior, believing in Him, confessing His name, and being obedient to baptism. We're prepared to assist you in that this morning. If you are a child of God, and there's something that we can pray with you or for you, we'd encourage you to come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.